Man's Search for Meaning is a really popular book written by a guy named Viktor Frankl. This book, Man's Search for Meaning, is one of the most popular books of this generation, selling millions and millions of copies. And in the book, the author writes, Loss of hope and courage can have a deadly effect on a man. It's a book about finding hope and meaning during difficult times. And part of the reason why the book sprung to popularity is because the, the author was able to observe a, a time and spend time in a Nazi concentration camp and learned about how to find meaning and how to hang on during difficult times. He says this, any attempt to restore a man's inner strength in camp had first to succeed in showing him some future goal. You can thrive in life without much money, material possessions, or status, but without hope, it is difficult to thrive in this fallen world. And in Psalm 42, our psalm today, is a psalm by someone who feels forgotten by God, abandoned by God, overlooked by God. And we are not immune to these feelings as well. Despite walking faithfully with God for decades, there might be low moments and dark seasons, times where you feel as if God is distant. Psalm 42 is the perfect psalm for that situation. And what we learn from the psalm is that we must place our hope in God even in the midst of pain. So I bring this up because we're, we've been doing this summer series through the book of Psalms, if you've been with us. And we're nearing the end. And the psalms speak a lot about emotions and the, the rawness of life, the difficulty of life. So if you're in a hospital bed, or there's difficulty in, with parenting and raising kids or some sort of health issue, and you're wondering, where do I turn in the Bible when I'm feeling down and out? The answer is the Psalms. I'm, I'm so glad the Psalms made it into the Bible because it gives language to the difficult, dark seasons of life. And Psalm 42 goes with Psalm 43. They're connected. Psalm 42 is a lament, and Psalm 43 is a cry for help. It's written by the sons of Korah. We don't know that much about them, but we know that they were musicians. That's fitting because the Psalms are songs. They are meant to be sung. The nation of Israel would have sung them in the context of their corporate worship. And the specific situation is somewhat unclear. But we know that the psalmist feels rejected. He feels abandoned. Not only that, he has mockers and opposition and rejection and people saying, where is your God? God is supposed to be amazing. You say you believe in God. Look at your life. Where is he? That, that's the kind of rejection he feels. And throughout the psalm, what we see is... <clears throat> What we see is a combination of lament and hope. There's lament and there's hope as well. 
And, and this is kind of like how we are in seasons of grief where we feel like we can get through, then we feel like we can't. There's lament, there's hope, things are good, they're better, I'm, I'm, I'm turning a corner, now I'm not, I feel deflated again. And so a lot of the Psalms are like that, where it's not all bleak, a couple of them are, but it's bleak, good, bleak, good, bleak, good, it's, it's all over the place. Because that's how we are with our emotions and grief, we're, we're kind of all over the place. When we see the, the big, one of the big surprising reasons for the psalmist's anguish is his lack of ability to attend corporate worship. That's what he feels the most. He's, he's not able to be with the people of God, and he desires God. This is what he says. He says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. He brings in a deer, an animal. This is a metaphor. He's saying, I long for God. I want to meet with God. I want to be satisfied by God. I long for the presence of God. This doesn't sound like a new Christian. This sounds like someone who's walked with God for a long time. Because one would not say that God is satisfying right away in that way. This, this sounds like a person who has a personal history of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. He talks about a deer. He's like, just like a deer who's dehydrated or thirsty, who's away from water, who's really, really thirsty, who knows the water will provide relief and satisfaction and help. Just like that, that's how much I desire God. I saw someone online post, they said this, they said, panting is how some animals cool when overheated. Deer have very few sweat glands, which we use to exchange heat. Panting is their mechanism in place of the cooling more sweat glands offer. If you've ever been dehydrated or sick, the doctor says drink Gatorade or take Pedialyte or drink more fluids. You know how desperate and uncomfortable it can feel to be dehydrated, but then when you, when you are satisfied by the Gatorade or the Pedialyte or whatever it is, you feel significantly better. The psalmist says, that's how much I desire God. Many people have a view of God as a killjoy, a mean, mean father up there who only cares about rules and regulations, a box to check off once or twice a week, maybe a confession here or there, sort of an add-on to my life. Oh, I, I got my life. I've got everything I, I want in place. God is just sort of an add-on. But here the psalmist views God as the most satisfying reality in all the universe. The only one who can satisfy the deep longings of his soul. This is the God I long to know more and more. This is not just some ritualistic going through the motions relationship. This is a, a man who's encountered the goodness of God and desires him more and more. But for, for some reason right now, he's denied access to corporate worship. He continues with the metaphor of thirst and water in verse 2 where he says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? God, Elohim in Hebrew, God, it's repeated 21 times in 16 verses. 
He's starting to increase the intensity of his desire to meet with God. And he uses that expression there, when shall I come appear before God? In the West, we tend to be very individualistic. That can be good, that can be bad. But we tend to think of our relationship with God as me and Jesus. When the psalmist says, when can I come and appear before God? He's not talking about personal Bible reading, although that's important. He's not talking about personal praying in private, although that's crucial for spiritual well-being. When the psalmist says, when shall I come and appear before God? He's talking about gathering with the people of God during corporate worship. What you are doing today. He's the temple where they worshipped is in Jerusalem. He's not there. We don't know why. He's not allowed to go for some reason. And that is what's bothering him more than anything. That, that he cannot meet with God and with the people of God for corporate public worship. So he's saying, when shall I come and appear before God again? And he has really good memories of church. One, some people think he, he was a worship leader or a praise band leader. Because verse 4, he says this, he says, These things I remember, so he's calling to mind good memories, remembering God's faithfulness from the past. This is a helpful way to fuel faith in the present, is to remember God's goodness in the past. It says, as I pour out my soul, so this is not teeth gritting, stuff my feelings, act like it's not a problem, self-protection. This is, no, I'm going to actually talk to God about this and not try to handle it on my own. Then he says this, he says, how I would go with the throng and lead them. That's the, the phrase there where many think that he was leading the people of God in corporate worship. And lead them in a procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He's down and out, discouraged, and where his mind goes to is church. The good memories of being able to lead the people of God in song. This shows us again that not, not only does the psalmist find God enthralling, but he finds the corporate worship with the people of God as enthralling as well, as satisfying, as joyful, as a delight, not, not a burden. So he's pouring out his soul to God. He's praying. He's remembering good memories. But he's still denied access to be with God's people in corporate worship. And he's thinking, when, when will that happen again? Uh, it, this sounds really foreign to us because we live in a very prosperous country with American, um, that was founded in part on Christian values and education were the two big reasons for the prosperity of America, many historians think. And uh, even in our own wonderful suburb of South County, St. Louis, there's just lots of great churches right around us. And we love those guys. We're on the same team with those guys who promote Jesus and but this is not what it's like all over the world. Currently right now, there are hundreds of thousands of Christians being persecuted who have zero access to corporate worship. 
what we learn from the psalmist, at least, is that one way to handle individual suffering is to be with the people of God during corporate worship. It really does help. Uh, Tony Evans is a pastor down in Dallas, Texas. Wonderful, gifted pastor. There's a lot of great material on various subjects. He shared this on Twitter this past week. I thought it was very interesting. He says this. I hear people say, quote, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they are absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone. But, there's a but. He says, but you don't have to go home to be married, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. When you feel distant from God, it's very easy to wake up on Sunday morning and say, I'm not going. I'm not going to be around those people. Nobody understands. I don't want to talk about it right now. I, don't, I, I have this sin issue. I, I, don't, I don't want to be exposed. I don't want people to know that there's this area in my life that needs more of God's power to heal. There's health concerns that I have. I don't, I don't even have the strength to talk about it right now. I, I just want to isolate myself and be alone. I think that will help. And that is very understandable. But the pain is already there. It's not like you can avoid pain. We live in a fallen world, so isolating yourself, it might feel relieving at first, but actually starts to harden our heart over time. Whereas continuing to gather with the people of God, even in pain, helps. One writer for the Gospel Coalition in an article called The Most Important Time to Go to Church, he says this, the most important time to be at church is when you don't feel like it. So I know you may not feel like it on Sunday morning. You may not feel like it for a while. But I'm asking you to trust God, ask for grace, and go. In the book of Hebrews, one of the most important passages in the New Testament for the importance of gathering with God's people, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, the author of Hebrews says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Yeah, mental health is 100% real. Anxiety and depression is real. And the people of God are not immune to that as well. But when, when you have burdens and you come and your faith is low and you're around God's people what you're actually doing is their very pl presence of being in the physical room with other believers is a source of strength and joy. When you see people singing praises to God and you have nothing in you to sing and you don't even want to sing and you question whether or not God is even worthy to be sung to and you see other people up here singing and you know they gave out a night to practice, and they, they've been spent 
coming in early on Sundays and they're, they're singing praises to God. You say to yourself, well, I don't think God is good right now. I'm really struggling, but that person, I'm going to lean on their faith until mine gets better. When, when in Galatians 6, we're, we're called to cast burdens onto one another, to, to share the burdens uh, before the service starts and after the service starts as informal opportunities to express how I'm doing. And with, with trusted Christian friends, at least you have more people praying for you. Just the presence of other believers, hearing the word of God preached, seeing the faith of others. When we're down and feeling distant and burdened, we can borrow from the faith of others and their faith carries us until God lifts that darkness and gets us through that season. One of the main ways to grow, to to experience God's blessing and presence amidst pain is to continually making the corporate worship a priority in your life. And the psalmist, psalmist is not able to do this and he's lamenting and he's suffering. He longs for God. He's suffering. He says this, verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? One leading study Bible says this, even a believer with a close relationship to God will sometimes feel far away from him and long to be restored to fellowship with him. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. It's like waking up at 6 a.m., crying, noon, crying, 5 p.m., still crying. Not clear if that's literally crying all day or if it's hyperbole saying, I feel so sad like someone who's crying all day long could be either way. But you get the picture of someone who's from 6 a.m. till night in sorrow, in despair. It feels like it's not lifting. And I got this observation from someone else as I listened to a sermon on this passage this past Sunday from John Piper. I, I, I was preparing for this message and I, I thought, I'd heard a sermon on this. And then I looked it up and I thought, yeah, I remember that from college. When I was in college, this was a helpful passage for me. And one of the expressions there, the observation that I got from John Piper is, the psalmist says, um, other people are saying to him, where is your God? If you were prospering and succeeding and doing well, people wouldn't ask you, where's your God? They would already know. They could see it. Look at your marriage. You have a great marriage. Look at your bank account. Everything is good. Like your health, you're fine, you're prospering, you're successful, you're, you're getting promoted at work. Obviously, God's on your side. That's how we think. So if someone comes to you and says, where is your God? Like the psalmist is saying, clearly the people see this person and they, they, he looks abandoned. He doesn't just feel forgotten, he actually looks it. So others might look at him and say, what's the point in believing in God? Look at your life, it's terrible. Why, why would you still believe in God? Sort of like Job's wife who told him to, to cuss God after all the suffering he endured. Why still believe in God? Look, he's abandoned you clearly. The psalmist continues the, the common refrain in verse 5. He says, why are you cast down my soul? 
saying, why are you in despair? Why are you so sad? Why are you feeling so deflated? Come on, you're a believer. What are you doing? And he's, he, he honestly recognizes the suffering that he has. And he says, I say to God, my rock, he says, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? My adversaries taught me, right? He's got foes. He's got critics. They're misunderstanding him or purposely trying to misunderstanding him. Or they see his life and they're saying to him, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? He doesn't get an explanation from God right away. Things don't get better immediately. They almost never do. But what we see is from the psalmist is trying to be proactive about doing something to steward his grief. What he's doing is lamenting. Lament is a gift from God. It's free. Um, it could be painful. The, the alternative is to, to forget your, your feelings, to stuff them, to just keep going through. It's a temptation for many men. But what the psalmist is doing is lamenting. And that's kind of the purpose of the psalmist, to show us that one way that we provide, that we demonstrate our belief in God in pain is to go talk to him about it. That's, that's part of what lament means. In his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, uh, Pastor Mark Vrogop in Indiana, he defines a, a, a lament like this. He says, a lament is a loud cry, a howl, or a passionate expression of grief. He says it's a, a prayer of pain that leads to trust. Usually we do this when we say, where are you, God? And if you love me, why is this happening to me? Th that's where we need to lament. And in the book, he provides a four-step process for lament. He, he uses it under four words. Turn, complain, ask, trust. Turn, complain, ask, trust. So turn, you just turn to God. So say, like literally, physically, audibly, or silently talk to God. That's what prayer is. Prayer is communication with God. That's all it is. We don't need to make anything more complicated than what it is. God speaks to us through the Bible. We speak to God through prayer. Prayer is communication with God. So we, we turn to God. We don't do self-reliance. But we humble ourselves and come to God in prayer. We complain is what he says. Maybe you prefer a different word than complain. Maybe lament or express. We, we, we voice our pain to God. We, this is specific, blunt, raw, real language to God about what you're feeling and why you're feeling it. Although God already knows because he knows everything, it's helpful to even say some of the details. Then it's, then it's ask, right? We don't just voice, but we, we actually want to be vindicated. We want to get out of this situation. So we do ask, and we trust God on his timing. We, we ask specifically, calling upon God to, to act according to his, ver his character, even asking God to, hey, vindicate me. That's what the psalmist does in... Psalm 43, 1, he asked God to vindicate him, to release me from this, get me out of this. And then we, we trust. We end the prayer. We, we trust God's goodness, and we continue to move on even if our circumstances don't change right away. So we turn to God. We complain. 
We ask and we trust. That's what lament is. This is a very important thing to learn. This helps you to, to process your feelings better. Men in particular don't like to do this kind of stuff. But this is for guys and gals. This is for thinkers and feelers. This is for independent and dependent people. This is for all of God's people. So I want to encourage you to lament. As you think about the pain, the sorrow, don't just try to handle it on your own. Go to God and lament Him. Lament to Him. Can't guarantee anything, but in general, you start to feel better and you have a sense of hopefulness because prayer doesn't always change your circumstances, but it often changes you, as many others have said. So his lament, he's lamenting, and thankfully the psalm doesn't end on a sad note because it actually ends with a sense of hopefulness. This lament has led to hope. He says, verse 5b, Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation. Hope in God. One writer says, Hope, in essence, is waiting for God to act. Hope in God. Part of the way we demonstrate our hope in God is through lament. And prayer, this is what he says. He says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Now that's interesting because he just said I'm crying all day long. Now he's talking about singing. This is a weird, godly, amazing person. He's saying at night I, I have a song within me. He says, by day the, the the steadfast love of the Lord is on my mind. It, it seems, you, you see a change here, a shift. It, it seems as if the, the praying and pouring out his soul to God and remembering the faithfulness and goodness of God in the past has changed him a little bit. We don't see any, any demonstration of a change of circumstances, but we see that his inner attitude is changing and he's singing at night. He's remembering the steadfast love of the Lord. He's, he's picturing and thinking about the next time where he could gather in corporate worship with the people of God. He's putting his hope in the Lord. In many ways, he is talking to himself. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a giant for the Christian faith in the 20th century from England pastor and author and so forth. He wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. It's an entire book on this psalm. This might sound kind of weird because we love to be cool. We are obsessed with being cool and we don't like any, any hint of awkwardness. But we're not talking about being cool. We're talking about getting help from God during hard times, right? We've made cool and polishedness and exterior appearance such an idol that we don't do the things that some others recommend, but one thing that Lloyd-Jones recommends is um, to, he says to talk to yourself, don't listen to yourself. Because if you just listen to yourself, there might be dark voices, your mind attacks, nobody loves me, nobody cares, I'm never going to fit in, I'm never going to get promoted, my life will never get better, these kids will never listen. 
That's, our, that's where our minds and hearts go. As soon as that, you hear that alarm clock going off in the morning, it feels like you can just feel a dark wave has come upon you. So, so Lloyd-Jones says, don't, don't just listen to yourself. You're going to defeat yourself. But he says, talk to yourself. Speak truth to your soul. Preach the gospel to yourself. This is what he says in his book, Spiritual Depression. He says, I'll quote part of it. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self-talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Do you know what I mean? If, do you, if you do not, you have but little experience. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must say to yourself, hope in God. Hope thou in God instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. This is just reminding yourselves of truth like, if God is for me, who can be against me? This is reminding ourselves that God works all things out for good for those who love him. This is reminding ourselves, I don't understand why God allowed this person to die. I don't understand why my life hasn't gone the way I planned. But I know an infinitely wise God is behind all these little details that I cannot grasp right now. But one day in heaven, in the new heavens and new earth, God will explain this to me and everything will make sense. And then there will be no more sin and no more pain and no more depression because of what Christ has done. Because Christ has already died on the cross in my place and for my sins and has risen from the dead. My ultimate need of being right with God has been purchased by Christ. And before time began, God decided to choose me and adopt me into his family and his grace and mercy will follow me even on the days when life is confusing. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch and with me. The author of Hebrews says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. When you draw near to Jesus in prayer, he not only knows exactly what's going on, he not only has the power to help, but he himself went through many sorrows and difficulties that he could sympathize with your pain. 
He was without sin, but he was not without suffering. And we must continue to put our hope in God by turning to him and asking him to help in a time of need. Let's pray. Father, we live in this fallen world that you have made. We know that your original intention was to live perfectly with your creation, but Adam and Eve rebelled in the Garden of Eden. And since that moment, Lord, you, you have already promised to send Jesus, and the Messiah comes in the New Testament and fulfills all the promises of the Old Testament. And then when our Lord rose from the dead, he said he will come back. And we live on this side of the cross now. We know that one day all pain and all sorrow will be gone. But that day has not come yet, Lord. So, Lord, I just pray you birth a deeper desire for God and for corporate worship among your people. And I pray, God, that you teach us how to lament. Lord, this feels really weird and awkward and uncomfortable. Help us, God, to push past that and learn to turn to you to ask for help to cast our burdens on you, trusting that you know what is best. Give strength to your people. Help us to endure. Help us to obey you even when we don't feel like it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.